it was more than voiceless, to be honest. It, I felt deaf. I felt blind. I, I, I like literally invisible. You just could, I couldn't relate to anything. I couldn't uh, understand. I couldn't express. I couldn't, couldn't interpret what I was seeing myself. Welcome to Life is for the Living. I'm your host, Rebecca Richmond. In our last episode, we learned about the struggles faced by our guests in actually immigrating to America and Canada. In this episode, we're going to continue the story and find that the struggle did not resolve just because they had made it to their new homelands. Although she now understands why her mom made the decision, Crusader did not want to come to America from El Salvador. Even so, she did believe the stories that her mom told her of a wonderful place where the air is clean and there's plenty of grass, only to be disappointed when she got here, particularly as the ramifications of being undocumented became apparent. My mom was telling me, Oh, you're going to meet a lot of, a lot of American people. They're really nice. You're going to learn English. You're going to go to school. You're going to be, and it's beautiful over there. Nothing like this, that we don't have trash over there. Everything is very clean. So she make it seem like it was paradise. Right. And when I came here, it was like, what my mom was talking about? It's the same air. You know, I thought it was going to be different air, you know, but my uncle, which he didn't want me to come in, he would tell me, don't go over there. The kids, they don't play like they play here. They stay on their home all day. And yeah, it was just like my uncle described it. It was so boring because back at home, you get to go and play, you know, with the kids. You have you don't have TV. You don't have nothing over there. So all we do is play on the air. You know, because here I didn't have no childhood. I was closed doors. Now I tell my mom because my mom will work and she will leave us alone. And we didn't have no friends because we were afraid. My mom would tell her, don't open the door because the police will get you and they will take you away from me. Similarly, Gada also felt misled about what living in America would be like when she immigrated from Lebanon. So I, of course, I didn't, like I said, I was a, I was not a very smart child. I didn't even know where we, what we were doing or what, you know, um, as you guys know, in Lebanon, French is a second language. Everybody speaks French. Um, if you've gone to school, that's what they start you out with. That's what you learn. But I don't know if it was my household. I don't know if it was just the town I lived in. They, we never said French. It was foreign language. Ajnabi is the word in Arabic. Ajnabi means like foreign. So that's what you spoke. I remember the excitement about coming over and all that. And as a, you know, as this, like, you know, I was 10. I turned 11 when we got here. Uh, I remember thinking, I got this, you know, Ajnabi thing, like this foreign thing going to America. I got it because I speak a foreign language. Not realizing that it's not the same language. So I thought I would be 
like I would do well. So I had expectations of coming here. So of course we come and we have a lot of family here uh, and, and the family that we have here are, are, are met. You know, they're very Westernized. Um, and I, I struggled, I struggled with the language. I st- struggled so much to where I went months where um, I wouldn't speak at all because I couldn't, I couldn't express myself in Arabic thoroughly. And of course, I didn't have a good command of the uh, the English to be able to express myself. So I would struggle with things like, like my wallet got stolen at school one time. I'm I'm in the sixth grade and someone took my wallet that had all, I don't know what possessed me to go to school with my, with a wallet full of all my jewelry. Um, It was like silver. Like, you know, we used to collect just, you know, like uh, charms, you'd collect silver charms. And so I had this necklace that had all these charms on it that meant different things. Um, took it to school. My wallet got stolen and I could not express to anyone that my wallet was taken out of my desk. I couldn't, I couldn't even, like when my uncle showed up to the school, I couldn't even express to him in my native tongue, like in Arabic that like my my stuff were stolen. Um. So I don't know if it was a, like it, you know, it was a shock of the two languages. As much as I talk now, it's so funny how I could talk, but I couldn't, I no longer could express myself verbally. I went through a, like a long period of time, not being able to express myself verbally. As far as like culturally and being around other kids, just, I I just did not understand. I did not, I would see stuff and none of it made sense to me. Some of the things, you know, like I'd watch my cousin making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I didn't understand what she was doing uh, because we don't do peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in Lebanon, you know, Um, or just some of the games they would play. yeah, so in a, as a kid, as a kid, I, I kind of felt invisible. But it wasn't just her that was struggling. Reality hit really quickly. It was, I want to say, you know, the honeymoon phase, you know, you're in America and it's like, oh, green lawns in the street and riding, we'd ride bikes with my cousins. And it was just like, oh, my God, America, it's beautiful. Um, reality hit really quickly. I want to say like six months later, um, you know, seven of us were seven kids, my mom and my dad, my dad was working. He had a job, but then they, they let him go because he was, when you immigrate here, he was sponsored. That's the word I was looking for. He had a job. He was on the job for a very short time and they're like, it's not working out. He can't follow directions he can't you know as far as driving directions okay there was no google back then you had to look up directions he was working for an air conditioning and heating company so he did that type of service um you had to look up in the thomas guide remember that you know well he couldn't read and write how do you get how do you go to a job so the company let him go because they said you know we can't partner him up with someone he's brilliant at what he does but we want to be able to send him out for jobs. Anyways, they let him go. So they was, 
you know, here we are, seven kids. We cleaned out one of my uncle's houses. My uncle had all these houses. It's so hard to explain. But anyway, my dad cleaned one of them. It was like a small three-bedroom house. All seven, eight, nine of us were living in, in this little house. How do you feed seven kids? I mean, my dad got resourceful really quickly. He started connecting with like other Middle Eastern people in the he knew and he would do odd jobs for them. You know, somebody's heater would break or somebody needed to fix a faucet or whatever. And then they hired him back. And then they're like, you know, he does have a talent that we 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 can partner him up. They decided they can put him in a vehicle with someone that most jobs, like if they put him on big jobs, I guess, I'm assuming, like, you know, it takes a couple of workers, right? You need at least a couple of people. So they did hire him back. He worked for a, a family-owned company for, he actually retired from it. My mom struggled. My mom struggled a lot um, because it was, yes, my dad struggled had to find work. He he had that job with the company, but he it wasn't enough. He had to supplement it with other odd jobs, you know? So we never saw my dad. He would like, We'd wake up, he'd be gone. We went to bed and he wasn't home. So it was just my mom and us. And, you know, it wasn't easy for her. She had to navigate school and getting us to where we need to get to and feeding us and clothing us and cleaning after us. And and also being homesick. My mom suffered like the first few years She'll hate me for saying this, but she was so depressed, so depressed. She lost her father. Her father passed away shortly after we came here. And she was just so homesick that she almost wasn't, wasn't functioning. She was taking care of us, but she was there and not there at the same time. As a matter of fact, to the point where she, she ended up getting sick herself I don't remember what it was, but she had to go into the hospital and have some surgery. Oh my God, like all this, all these things are coming back. We actually had a couple of tragedies that took place. My brother was messing around on a motorcycle and also got into a really bad accident and was in the hospital for a while. It was just it it just seemed like the first few years we were here, it was just like one thing after another. It was like financial, it was health, it was it was not what it was cracked out to be. That was not what we, you know. Um it was hard. It was really, really tough. I mean, my poor dad, um you know. We had a good life in Lebanon. My dad, he did not have the best of childhood. He, you know, he lost his dad at a very young age. He was practically an orphan. He raised himself. I do know that he lied about his age when he joined the army, the Lebanese army. He was, my dad was in the army for 22 years. He had a good career in the army until, you know, social, civil, whatever, political stuff started happening in Lebanon. And then from that, he drove um, 
a produce truck. Like he would drive from all, like from Jordan to, um, he would take us on those trips sometimes. <laughs> but what my point is like, poor guy, he, like he built his life twice from scratch, from scratch. The first time was when he got married and had kids. And then I think it was worse when we came here. It's one thing to build your life and start having a family. But when you already have seven children, seven lives that depend on you. And we were talking about like, he was, he was also, he was deaf. He was mute. He didn't speak the language. He didn't know how to communicate with people. How didn't, how do you navigate in a world where you don't, you don't, where you can't communicate and also to support a family of seven. So I give him so much prop for that. I don't know how he did it. There was a lot of, you know, like I said, we struggled financially, but I don't, I don't know how he did it. He just, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to get a bigger house or I'm going to rent a house. And they're like, are you crazy? Nobody's going to rent you a house with seven kids. They'll allow you to have seven dogs or cats, but they will not allow you to have seven kids, which I think was a jab at him. You know, it was, it used to hurt his feelings. Like my dad had so much pride of like, it was like, I mean, other than my youngest uh, um, sibling, (laughs) you know, we were all planned. We were all like, my dad wanted a large family. My mom and dad wanted a big family. But what I mean is he had so much pride in having such a large family and for people to be telling him, like, you're not going to make it. It got to the point where family, I I have a great extended family, but it we became a burden. We couldn't do Christmas get togethers anymore because, well, you know, my dad's name is Mahmoud. Look, well, Mahmoud's family, they're seven kids. We can't, we can't do the gift exchanges. We can't. So little by little, kind of the family started to separate. We weren't, you know, the extended family. But he never let that get to him. He still, he, we were living in Glendale, Los Feliz, actually. We were living in Los Feliz. And he's like, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to get my kids and I'm going to buy a house. And everybody's like, you're crazy. You're not going to buy a house. He bought a house. He through friends, he bought a house in Baldwin Park and everybody's like, in Baldwin Park, are you crazy? That's like, it's horrible out there. It's the, you know, it's crime infested. It's gang infested. Your family won't last out there. And he's like, I I need a house to say that it's it's my house. I could just put my family in and, you know, and he did, he did. He, he bought a house for $83,000. <laughs> Um, they still live in it. It's a beautiful house. Until this day, they live in it. Once everyone did get settled into their new lives, they faced a new problem. They didn't quite fit in where they were, but they no longer felt like they belonged in their homeland either. Crusada traveled back to El Salvador and realized that her American citizenship changed the way everyone looked at her. I have flied over there after years. And, um, I feel like I'm just another visitor there now. I feel like this is my land. You know, it's very emotional when you get to the country that you were born. 
and then you are in a country that you weren't that bored, but it breaks you into the arms, it's very hard. You're like divided. I'm Salvadorian by blood, but by heart, I'm from the United States. Our producer Marco asked if she would ever go back. No. I will go back and visit. Yeah. But to stay there, no. Do you feel like a stranger when you go back? Yeah. I, I, I felt like a, when, you, when you go to visit Mexico, you know, I, I feel like a stranger. And sometimes my own people make fun of us, you know, when we go over there. And it's, it, I was just telling my friend the other day, she's just recently came out a citizen, United citizen. And I was like, you will see the experience. It's, it's a lot. They, when you say over there, oh, American citizen. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. You're like the queen, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a different treatment that they give you your own country, your own country, give you a different treatment because you're American citizen. Yeah. It's weird. That is interesting. So even your family treats you weird when you go back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They treat you like you just came from from the paradise. (laughs) Yeah, they want to feed you everything, too. (laughs) Yeah, they want to feed you and, and fill you with your own culture again. You know, it's really nice to go over there. You know, because um, you see the love, the you know the they 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 want to pamper you with things that they think you cannot find here. We got all those things that they got over there now. You know, but I feel like a stranger when I go there. Yeah, and the way we talk too. Even though I have a big accent here, but when I go over there, they make fun of me because I viene la güera. You know, <laughs> she say, oh, the weta. Oh, excuse me. She's weta now. She's a white girl now. <laughs> Claudia also echoed the same experience of going back and not belonging. When I was 17, we took a family trip to Italy. It was the most wonderful trip. We were there three months. I remembered how, how different, like I, I met up with friends from school, you know, before I left and how how different their lives were from mine. They were they had boyfriends, they could go to the beach, they could do this, they could do that. And um, so yeah, their, their lives were very different. Now, during that time in Italy, again, it was wonderful, but I didn't feel like I belonged anymore. And, and each subsequent trip back home, I, I always felt the same that I I I was a guest. I was a visitor. And, and people in Italy, um, as nice as they can be or as not so nice, they, you're not accepted anymore. You know, like they see you as, as, an, uh, as a visitor, that you're not accepted as one of them anymore. Debbie, who left China in 1963, only returned in 2014. I only went back like, what, um, 2014, seven years ago? Yeah. And I already felt that I'm not regretted to go back. I kind of did regret it Mm -hmm. I go back because life is so different. It's not what I expected. So kind of kill my sweet memories. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's why I say sometimes it's hard to go back home. 
And that's it for this episode of Life is for the Living. In our next episode, we will take a look at the pluses and minuses of living as immigrants in the land of the free. If you have any suggestions about future guests, topics, or just want to chat in general, you can reach us at, at lifeisforthel on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at lifeisforthelivingpodcast at gmail.com. The Life is for the Living podcast is written by me, Rebecca Richman, and produced by Marco Burlow. Thanks for listening.